Good evening. Well, this is unique. Uh, usually when I'm here, I'm here for the whole weekend. And uh, th this time it's just tonight. So I'm kind of like the Saturday night special <laughs> here at Woodland. So that's, that's great. Um, just a pleasure to be back here again. I want to thank the worship team for doing the theme song for my church, the Sanctuary Covenant Church. So I just appreciate that. that they, uh, they probably didn't know that. That's our theme song. That's okay. Um, I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 4 tonight, Genesis chapter 4, starting with the first verse. It says, Now the man Adam had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what, you, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. From this text, sisters and brothers, I, I want to talk to you tonight on the topic, sibling rivalries. Sibling rivalries. Play with, pray, play. <laughs> pray, and let's see what happens after that <laughs> with me. Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place the opportunity to freely worship you and praise your name. God, we want to hear from you tonight a word that is directly from your throne room and that I would just merely be your vessel that you are using at this moment in time to say what you want to say to my sisters and brothers, your children. You speak, God, that ultimately tonight is about you and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been doing a series of sermons at my home church on family. So we've been trying to deal with issues of marriage and parenting and uh, things that we now might carry as adults that are damaging to us. They're distractions and they're things that we picked up 
from our upbringing, from family. Family can be a great place to pass down blessings. In the Bible, we read about families where blessings are passed down from parents to children. We read stories about women who dedicate their children unto the Lord. We read about fathers laying hands on children and blessing them. We read about families that take what God has spoken into them and they work to pass it down to their children that there might be from generation to generation a love for God, a commitment to God, a, 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 a willingness to use gifts from God to advance God's kingdom in the earth. There are things that, that we even practice today within our worship experience from communion to Sabbath, if that is something that you recognize on a regular basis. And I don't just mean the, the Sabbath that you came to church. I mean that you actually find time to rest in God. Great opportunities of things in an intimate relationship with God to live out and then to pass it down generationally. The family can be a place of passage, of righteous stuff. But family can also be a place that unfortunately can sometimes pass down curses, can pass down baggage that's actually a distraction, an obstacle to living a godly life, a life in intimate relationship with God, finding identity in God through Christ Jesus. Here in Genesis chapter 4, we read about a story of two brothers. And by the time we get to verse 8, we now have a murder scene on our hands. Now, because we live in this culture of CSI, you know, law and order, uh, it, 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 without a trace, maybe we want to go back and try to figure out why we are now here at the murder scene of a guy named Abel. There is blood on the ground that shows us that a murder has taken place. And we have a suspect. We have someone that we can have a conversation with, that we can look into their life to try to figure out not who did it, but why did he do it. Two brothers from the same mother, just one, I mean, just one more generation into, it seems like, the creation story of humanity, and we already have a problem. Children through as the story tells us the first man and first woman at least metaphorically, for us to, to come inside the story of the creation of something that God said when God was done, this is good, this is very good. Why would Cain kill his brother? It's the only brother he knew that we know about in this story. We have some clues in the beginning of chapter 4 of Genesis, 
We read about Eve, this mother giving birth to Abel and to Cain. And if you read the chapters leading up to this chapter, you will know that in chapter 3, it ends by telling us about a curse. A curse that has come upon Adam, a curse that has come upon Eve because of sin. And uh, the details of this curse, the details of the outcome of sin, of a fallen state of humanity, is laid out here as chapter 3 of Genesis comes to a conclusion. One of the things that we would know from reading through chapter 3 of Genesis is that the birth that Eve went through, the birthing of these two two boys was painful. And we get some evidence here in chapter 3 that that might not be originally the way that God had intended it to be, that the creation process, the birthing process uh, before sin maybe was not meant to be painful, to be such a trying experience, but yet Eve comes out on the other side of this painful, trying birth, and she thanks God. I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Abel, a keeper of flocks, but Cain, a tiller of the ground. Now, there's something important, sisters and brothers, to know about Cain's choice to decide to till the ground. And there is something that will help us in this murder case, in this murder scene, to understand uh, uh, why Cain would kill his own brother, why this curse. Would, would, would continue from mother and father and go into the next generation. There's something to be learned here. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Well, in verse 17 of chapter 3, as God is laying out the outcomes of the fall from sin, he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till the return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The, the very dust and ground that birthed life to Adam now symbolizes the place where he will lay in death. And so when people die, we return them to the ground. And so when we think of bodies going to the ground now, we don't think of dirt and ground as life-giving, as a part of the life process. When we look at dirt, when we look at the ground, we probably don't think about this is what God did when God took ground. God took dirt and formed a human being and blew a living spirit into this dirt and it brought life. It started the creation process of humanity. What a beautiful story. Well, when we think of ground now, we don't think of ground starting life. We think of ground as the end. Unless you're a tree, unless you're a plant, 
Now, if you're a planter, if you got a green thumb, see, you, you think of dirt as life-bringing. You think of seed going into dirt, and you think of what can grow out, what can sprout out. But we don't see human beings like that anymore. The connection that we make to human beings in dirt is putting them down into the ground, putting them down into the dirt, and taking the shovel and putting dirt over a body that is no longer functional. The fall in Genesis in chapter 3, it does some things that doesn't seem like was a part of the original plan of God with God's own creation. Sin causes a dysfunctional relationship between the man and the woman, a oneness that should have been shared between the man and the woman is now replaced through a curse with man ruling over woman. And so we never heard this language of a man ruling over a woman until after the fall, after sin. Before the fall, we, we, we read about oneness. Why would I say all that? I say all that because Cain decided to till something that was a part of the outcome of sin. It was now a part of the curse. And what Cain did that was a mistake is instead of finding his identity in God, his creator, he found his identity in cursed ground. And so he was working the ground as hard as he possibly could to the point that he was finding his own identity in it. He was getting personal with it. And so when he went to God and he tried to bring forth fruit from a cursed ground and God didn't respond in the way that he wanted his heavenly father to respond, he got depressed. He got angry. He got upset came about, verse 3, in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. It says in chapter 3, verse 17, cursed is the ground. Now Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock, something that wasn't cursed because of sin. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry. It's like Cain put himself in the place of the ground. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, it's, like, it's like Cain found his identity, his being in his work. Many of us grow up trying to get affirmation, identity, self-worth, a sense of purpose, a sense of being, in stuff that we do. I don't know why this is. It seems like it's just so far gone in the fabric of our society, of our culture. I remember as a kid growing up wanting to do stuff that my earthly mother and father would give me praise. I wanted to play football, and I wanted to see them on the sideline watching me do something, and I wanted to do it right so that I could look over to them, and they would smile at me, and they would say, good job. And on the ride home, my dad would, would, he would, he, he would do things to let me know that I gave him a great offering in the things that I did. When I was in the school play, I wanted my mother and my father to come to the school play, and I would remember that in the middle of my lines, I would really be trying to look out into the audience and see if I could 
could catch my mother and my father's eye, and I wanted to see them right away after the play, hoping that what I did on the stage was a wonderful offering to them. When I graduated from high school, that I had done something now, and, I, and after I took the tassel and moved it to the other side and threw the cap in the air, I was looking for my mother and father to give me some affirmation, some encouragement that I would know that I had given them a wonderful offering by what I had done when I graduated from college. I mean, I could go on. Many of us, we grow up and we're in this performance mode and we're doing things hoping that we will get the love and the affection and the affirmation from our mother and our fathers based on what we do. And so when this performance mode becomes habitual, we take it into the rest of our life. So we go to work and we want praise for what we do. And we go home and we want praise from our spouse. We want praise from our kids by what we do. And our whole life becomes obsessed in what we do and not in who we are. And so many people are carrying the baggage wondering, doesn't anybody see what I'm doing? Doesn't anybody think what I'm doing is important here? I mean, if people would just recognize what I'm doing, can't you see what I'm doing? Can't you see what I'm doing in this marriage? And you don't say a word. Can't you see, Mom, what I'm doing for you? The sacrifice I'm making for you? And what happens is when you have a household and a family of kids that are growing up on performance mode based on what they do and not who they are, it causes a sibling rivalry. And maybe you're an only child, and so you've already checked out on this sermon. Well, I got news for you. Sibling rivalries don't just take place in family units. They also take place in the family known as the body of Christ. Where churches that are supposed to be sister churches and brother churches instead become competitors against each other, fighting for God's blessing. Trying to outgrow each other and outpreach each other and outpraise each other. Trying to have the, the nicest building. And instead of being in communion with one another, in community with one another, not only as sisters and brothers within a church, but sisters and brothers across church, across denomination, across uh, uh, ethnicity, across culture, across language, the very brothers and sisters that are supposed to be in intimate relationship with God, an intimate relationship with one another, we have become competitors with one another. We have become rivals to one another. We, we, are, we, are, we are competing. We are not dancing together. We are not loving together. We are not doing justice together. We are fighting for position. I am concerned, sisters and brothers, about a Christian life that is based on what we do and not who we are. God loves you, not for what you do. I, I know the, the reason why I hesitate to preach this is because when you start preaching about how big the love and the grace of God is, usually preachers shy away from this because we feel like if we preach this too hard, as true as it is, it sounds like you get a license to live however you want to live, which is not true. But, but God's grace is so big. God's love is so transforming, so deep, 
so supernatural that God loves me through my behavior to my being that is based on his son who died and rose for me. Oh, I hope you get that, sisters and brothers. God loves you past your behavior to the core of your being as one made in the image of God. God loves past your thoughts, past your actions, past your job, past your credentials, past all that. Past the stuff that you think you own, the stuff that you do. And Cain couldn't see this. Cain was so trapped in finding his identity in what he did and not in who he was. This is what sin does to us. Sin distracts us. Sin makes us dysfunctional. Sin tricks us. Sin lies to us and convinces us that what God needs from us is performance. And, 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 and what we need is we need godly parents who would love kids based on their being, not based on their behavior. Because the behavior is, is look, I have two kids. If you love kids based on how they behave, my Lord, the love will run out. Is there any other parents in the house? Can somebody hear me? Do I have a witness? If you love young people based on how they behave, your love is, is going to show up when they act right. Some of us only love like this because it was the way we were loved. Some of us, we know the experience of being a young person and feeling like when you did something right, you got love, and when you didn't do right, you didn't, it felt like at least you didn't get much love. And so we pass this love based on behavior down generationally. And it not only shows up in our homes, but again, it shows up in broader life. You got to earn my love. You got to do something so I love you. You want me to love you, then you, you got to spend some money on the date tonight. You got to do something. Do you love me? Well, show me something. I'm a Missouri person. You got to show me. Do you love me? Cain found his identity in the ground. In verse 6, he became angry. He became depressed. We can easily become depressed. And I, and I, and I don't want to sugarcoat depression because there are various forms of depression. There's depression that needs, that, 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 it, that it, there must be a therapeutic journey. There, there is a, a depression that is attached to a chemical imbalance that must be attached to medication. Don't get me wrong, but there's some depression that comes on the scene because people don't have the right framework for who they are. And when you are in the wrong framework for finding identity, finding who you are, it can bring on a spiritual depression that is hard to get out of because you feel like in life you're competing. You're competing to have a voice. 
You're competing to be important. You're competing to feel like you matter. You're competing, and, 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 we, and we start competing against our own brothers and sisters. We start competing within the creation of humanity that was designed to be in unity with God and one another. And it's hard to be in unity with somebody you're competing with. It's hard to love your own brother when you feel like you're competing with your brother. It's hard to love your sister when you feel like you're in competition with your sister. You're in competition for love. You're in competition for affection. You're in competition for quality time. You're in competition. And so it's hard to build community in the house, in church, at the workplace, anywhere when you feel like that the environment is more about competition and not community. And God says, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now, I, I had a problem with this verse because I'm preaching to you that being is more important than doing, and yet God says here, if you do well. That messed my whole sermon up. But then I had to go into the Hebrew and study what this word well means. It means to be. If you're well at being, <laughs> you will be lifted up to the knowledge of who you really are. But if you don't get into the journey of being, overdoing, Sin is crouching at the door. The law is over you and not the freedom that comes through Christ. Cain in his competitive nature and his depression takes his brother into the field. And it says he told his brother. So he started out having a conversation with his brother about how angry he was that God was getting favor over him. And he rose up and he killed him. And then he was in denial. In verse 10, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. In our culture even today, our ability to not find identity in who we are in God through Christ Jesus, but to find identity in performance and competition, there is still cries from the ground. Cries for, and, and it's interesting to me that, that Abel's blood cried out from the very place that represents the curse. And now you are cursed from the ground. Oh, I hate this line. Because the ground is no longer cursed, but now so is Cain. Oh, that grieves me. That line grieves me that if you identify with something that is already cursed, that is already done for. If, no, no, this is the big part. If you identify with something that will perish, if you find identity in life in something that can't sustain itself outside of the external, you're cursed along with it. My God. If I find my identity in sports, 
If I find my identity in money, if I find my identity in my job, if I find my identity in something on paper, if I find my identity in things that don't last beyond this realm, beyond this earth, then my life dies with it. My God, I must find life in the eternal, not the external. I must find life in the supernatural, not the natural. I can't find my identity in my work. I have to find it in this love that God wants to shower over me. Now I can have relationship with my sister. Now I can have relationship with my brother. Now I can identify with my parents better. Now I can look at life because I know who is life and where life comes from. This, I'm going to end this with this story. I went to this gas station, which bothers me because I hate looking at the price sign at gas stations. So I just stop. I just, you know, my, and I'm the kind of person, my wife, when she goes to the gas station, she doesn't, she, when the, when the gas tank is like half a tank, she doesn't wait. She goes right to the gas station. Half a tank. She goes, oh, I need some gas. Me, on the other hand, when, when the uh, gauge is on E and the yellow light is starting to come on, I say, you know what? I'm about to get some gas sometime soon. I'll probably go get some gas tomorrow because I can make it home. I've driven this car long enough. I can get home, and tomorrow I will get some gas. Now, sometimes that's come back to bite me. I uh, went to the gas station, was pumping some gas recently, and uh, something interesting happened. You know how you, uh, you kind of click? I mean, I don't know, you know, gas stationology. I don't know all the terminology, but you, you kind of can, you know, you, you put the pump in there, and you can kind of click it in this little deal, and, it, and it'll keep pumping the gas by itself. You don't have to touch it. The, the whatchamacallit, dilly-dally thing. You know what I'm talking about. And, and so it was pumping on its own. And usually what happens is when it gets full, you hear this click sound, and that means it's done. And then you pull out the gas pump, and you put it away, and you're done. Well, on this day, it didn't click. And it kept pumping, and like gas was coming down, spurting out, and it was getting on the ground by my shoes, and I was very concerned. And I went to try to click it off, and I couldn't. And I finally, I was able to get it to stop, and there was gas going down my car, gas around my feet, and I didn't know what to do with that. It felt really uncomfortable. It felt dangerous to me. And right then, it's like God said to me, that's the way I want to pour my love in and through you. I want so bad for you to experience life in me that I've decided that I want to be available on a daily basis to be life in and through you. First John chapter 3 begins by saying how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. 
if you want to be a person that lives in community, that lives in family in the way that God designed, where you're not about performance and about competition, you must live life daily in intimacy with God. You must allow God's love to be bestowed upon you and then allow the power of that love to move through you as an overflow to other people. This is where life must come from. This is where identity must come from. God wants to bestow love upon you on a daily basis. God does not want you to find life from things that will perish. God does not want you to find identity in external things, even if that external thing is another person. God wants you to get life from another realm. God wants you to get identity from another place. God God doesn't want you to lift up offerings to God based on things that will perish. God wants the very spirit of God's self that lives in you to pour through you. The best offering you can give God is not a fatted calf or something from the ground. The best offering that you can give God is to allow what God has put in you to overflow out of your mouth. So when you praise, that's an offering. When you worship, that's an offering. When you pray, that's an offering. That's an offering to God. It's something that goes beyond the external. It goes beyond the emotions. It goes beyond the intellect. Now, that's an offering to God right there. God wants to be a cycle through you that God says, you don't know how to praise me. You don't know how to worship me, but let me make you a vessel, and I will come upon you, get in you, work through you, and that's the kind of praise that I like. I like supernatural praise like that, where you'll dance when you don't feel like dancing. You'll lift your hands when your arm got arthritis. You can stand up when you're tired because there's something on the inside of you that is beyond this world that gives God the praise. That's life. <laughs> oh, my God, my God, that's life. Maybe you're here today and you're tired because you've been tilling the ground like Cain. And I'm trying to keep you from killing somebody. I have been sent here to keep you from murder. Now, maybe you don't think you're capable physically of killing somebody. But I ain't talking about that kind of killing. You could murder somebody with your words. You could bring death with your attitude. And I'm asking you tonight, sister and brother, don't find life from the ground anymore. Find it from the throne room of God. Don't find life anymore in your job. Don't find life in performance anymore. I want to release you today. In the name of Jesus, I want you to be free tonight. I want you to come off the plantation of performance, and I want you to be a free man and a free woman tonight. I want you to be set free tonight. I do not want you to leave this place the same person you were coming in here. On Monday, it can be a different Memorial Day for you. On Monday, on that Memorial Day, you can have a memorial service for the person that used to find life from performance that has now truly died, that Christ may truly live through you. Ah, do you hear what I'm trying to say to you tonight? God wants to be your life. God is in the business of setting you free. As I close in prayer, 
Is there anybody here tonight that would be bold enough to say, I want off the plantation of performance? <laughs> Amen. Not going to ask you to do anything except would you stand so that I could pray with you? If you raised your hand, would you just stand where you are? And before I pray with you, I just want to say this. There's a table over here with some resources. And there'll be someone standing over here. And if you need to take the deepest step of knowing what it means to be a Christian, being in relationship with God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they'd love to talk to you over here and give you some materials that will start you on your way. Those of you that are standing, let me just pray with you. Father God, we're tired of tilling the ground. <laughs> we're tired of carrying the baggage of lifting up offerings to you that really don't mean much. I used to think that you loved me based on what I do because that's what I learned as a kid growing up. If I do this, I'll get love. If I do that, I won't. And my life has become a performance. But I'm tired. I'm weary. I can't do it anymore. I need to experience the supernatural power of moving past behavior into being. What does it mean to be Christian? To be the beloved? To be the righteous? To be holy, to be a saint. And by knowing who I am, all of a sudden my behavior is transformed. It becomes a natural thing. My behavior changes because I know who I am. And I'm not living off of performance anymore. I'm not living in competition. I'm living in community based on intimacy. Free me, God. I receive your freedom right now. I, I, I feel shackles coming off my wrists. I, there are things that had my mind bound up and I feel the ropes unloosening. I feel the knot in my stomach loosening right now and I believe this is God. I believe this is you, my Father. I don't think this is some, some, something that I can explain in words. I think it's something supernatural that it might just make me laugh. It might just make me cry. I might have to just go home and process this for a couple of days because I can't put words, but I'm, I'm experiencing something right now. I think it's freedom. <laughs> I think it's freedom. I lift up these sisters and brothers to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and thank you for allowing me to share with you tonight.